C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and we welcome our guests who are joining us today. I'm Kevin Hirsch, and I'm your guest host. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products, keeping environments safer. That's CloroxHealthcare.com forward slash CDIFF radio, CDIFF radio. It's a great pleasure to welcome our guests, Dr. Nam Tran of UC Davis and Dr. Chris Newhouse of Roche, who are joining us today to discuss the role of diagnostics in supporting antibiotic stewardship goals. And now a little bit about our guests before I introduce them to you. Dr. Chris Newhouse, as Group Marketing Manager for Molecular Microbiology at Roche Diagnostics, Dr. Newhouse and his team are responsible for customer education about our molecular microbiology products, focusing on supporting hospitals in their fight against the spread of healthcare-associated infections and drug-resistant organisms. Chris has experienced building teams, coaching, and developing people, and has successfully managed products from project concept, uh, excuse me, conceptualization and successful launch. His career journey with Roche has spanned a number of roles in research, product development, business, and marketing. Chris holds a PhD in molecular biology from Columbia University, where his thesis project focused on the impacts of a unique DNA binding site on the viral replication and gene transcription of the human papilloma virus, excuse me. And Chris also holds a Bachelor of Science degree in engineering physics and from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And Dr. Nam Tran is associate professor and clinical pathology director of clinical chemistry, special chemistry, toxology, and point of care testing at UC Davis. He completed his PhD degree in comparative pathology in 2008 and conducted a postdoctoral training fellowship under the National Institute of Bioimaging and Bioengineering. Sponsored UC Davis Point of Care Technology Center focused on developing novel molecular technologies for bedside infectious disease testing. These studies translated to a large multi-central trial evaluating the clinical impact of rapid molecular testing in sepsis in severely burned patients. At this time, I'd like you to, to welcome our guests to the program. Thank you for joining us today, Nam and Chris. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. It's great to be here. You know, I love this. This is going to be a really informative day. And what I'd like to do is to start our show by discussing the introduction of antibiotic resistance. And I'd like to ask Dr. Newhouse a few questions. Right off, how does antibiotic resistance happen? It's a really great and important question. Um, typically, there are many, many bacteria, I mean, millions and billions of them. Um, you just think about our, our, within our intestines as an example that are protecting, actually, our body from infection in some way uh, as well. Um, the fact is that when we administer antibiotics, though, we, we kill off a bulk of those bacteria. However, because their bacteria are, are replicating and making new copies of themselves and versions of themselves, there's constantly genetic mutations happening that 
could instill resistance to antibiotics. So it's just happening naturally through the normal uh, population of bacteria. But when we administer those bacteria or administer those antibiotics that kill off the normal bacteria, the ones that are resistant to the antibiotics actually survive. And so we, in essence, selected for them. Um, and then those bacteria start to grow and can actually pass their genetic elements on to other bacteria that, and then spreads these bacteria that are then resistant to that antibiotic. Is there a distinction between antimicrobial and antibiotic resistance, or can these be used interchangeably? Actually, one is a subset of the other. So antibiotics are specific to bacteria, but antimicrobials is a more general term that includes antibiotics for bacteria or antifungals against uh, fungi or antivirals against viruses. Is there antibiotic resistance limited to healthcare setting, or are there other sources? Actually, that's a a really important question. Uh, One of the biggest sources of antibiotic resistance actually comes from the agriculture industry. So it's quite common practice um, throughout the world to feed animals antibiotics. Um, Part of it's sometimes to keep them healthy, but for the most part, uh, they've found that by feeding animals antibiotics, they actually fatten up quicker, and so they uh, are able to capitalize that from an an industrial perspective on, on growing animals that way. But unfortunately, that means that those animals can very easily develop drug-resistant bacteria within their guts because they constantly have these antibiotics being fed to them. There's this constant pressure selecting for drug-resistant bacteria. And that can come through in their meat if it's not properly handled or cooked uh, by the time it comes to humans so that we could actually ingest drug-resistant bacteria that way through the food we eat. Also, it's common practice to use uh, feces from animals as fertilizer for crops, even for vegetables. And so if those feces from the animal are contaminated with drug-resistant bacteria as well, that can then contaminate the vegetables that that those feces are used in in the growing of. And then if those vegetables uh, are not cleaned well enough, then there's a risk, again, that those, those bacteria can come to, to humans by that route. That was very informative. And if you would, I'd love to dis- for you to describe the magnitude and potential impact of the antimicrobial resistance from a patient safety perspective. Yeah, it's uh, becoming more and more serious uh, an issue these days. Um, just in <clears throat> the U.S. alone each year, there's been 2 million illnesses related to uh, drug-resistant organisms and 23,000 deaths each year by these uh, drug-resistant bacteria. What are and the causes? turns out that... Uh, what's that? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was listening. I was going to say that uh, <clears throat> the big problem, though, is that even with those big numbers of uh, 2 million illnesses and 23,000 deaths a year, that number is just growing um, because we are starting to run out of effective antibiotics to, to treat these antibiotic-resistant organisms. And there's an estimate that's been put out internationally that if we do not find a way to either slow down the development of drug resistance or speed up the development of new and novel antibiotics, that by the year 2050, that the number of deaths from drug-resistant organisms will outpace all other forms of of death. So, for example, cancer and these other things that are much commonly known and that there could be as many as 10 million deaths uh, a year by the year 2050. 10 million by 2050. Wow. 
Well, what are the cost implications of resistance to our healthcare system? Yeah, they come in many forms. Um, part of it is just because you're over-prescribing antibiotics um, so so often. So right now, it's estimated in the in the outpatient setting, so in your doctor's office, that one out of every three prescriptions are inappropriate. So just think about the amount of um, saved cost in terms of the drugs that you could if if you eliminated one third of the prescriptions. Uh, the other aspect of it, if you add it all up, then uh, from antibiotic misuse across the the whole um, world and add up to that misuse, it's estimated that, that you could be avoiding costs in the range of twenty seven to forty two billion dollars a year. You know, and we have about four minutes left. And what I'd love to hear from you, if you could, is what what are the deta- what are the implications to our own health if we do not take steps to slow the development and spread of antibiotic resistant bacteria yeah i think that this is a really important for us all to really think about the the broader implication if you if you think about when you go into a, a doctor's office or when a doctor sees a, a patient they're mostly concerned with that one individual and treating that that one individual and then it seems so much easier to just play it safe and maybe give somebody antibiotics just in case, even if you're not 100% sure. So I think we as, as patients can, can do our part as well when we go into the doctors and we have, say, an, an upper respiratory illness of some sort, um, really make sure that the doctor knows what you have and that it really is bacterial in nature before they give you antibiotics. Um, and don't demand them just because you feel sick and you know that they may have worked for you in the, in the past. Um, if we can continue to do this and really be good stewards of our antibiotics, really be good about only using them when we need to, we'll, we'll be able to stretch their, their, their lifetime. Um, the fact is that the investment into the development of novel antibiotics has pretty much ground to a near halt, and so we do not have a really strong pipeline of new antibiotics coming that we can we could depend on in the future. And if you really think back to the time before antibiotics, um, you start to realize that antibiotics have really enabled entirely new areas of medicine. For example, Mm -hmm. organ transplantation and joint replacement surgeries, they depend heavily on antibiotics to stop bacteria from causing disease in the patients that have undergone those kinds of surgery. But those are very elective and without antibiotics, uh, most of those sorts of elective surgeries would not really be viable options anymore. If if you couldn't effectively, you know, treat somebody with antibiotics, there's a high risk that a joint replacement surgery would end up in a in a critical infection for them. So you know, then it would mean that only really the most critical life saving surgeries would even even be performed. So you can see that the ramifications of not taking care of um, uh, being good stewards of our antibiotics, the ramifications are pretty wide and go well beyond just the mm-hmm. individual and the individual patient being treated with or without antibiotics. You know, that is that is extremely informative, and that can only relate back to when I was in India. Everything was antibiotic, 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 and that's all that they were giving in the in the northern part in Uttar Pradesh that I was I was there on a humanitarian mission. I'm just relating back, and uh, and I can see that same happening here where antibiotics is choice A. And me personally, I'm always trying to say, okay, do we need it? So uh, that being said, we all have to be a steward of your own antibiotics as well. 
Right. And isn't that a point also is be, be your own steward as well. You just can't accept, you know, here's some antibiotics, go home and feel better. You know, we have to look at that a little bit differently, don't we? All right. With That's that, I'm going, to, I'm going to end um, end right now. We're going to break for a commercial. And I want to thank you. That that information was incredible. Thank you both. And that's for our global listeners. So when we return, we'll be continue discussing the role of diagnostics in supporting antibiotic stewardship goals with Dr. Nam Tran of UC Davis and Dr. Chris Newhouse of Roche. Stay tuned and we will return after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age, at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing. Number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, everybody, and welcome back, Nan and Chris. We're going to continue our program today by discussing antibiotic stewardship and the role of diagnostics. And I'd like to ask both of you questions. First, Chris, can I ask you, what is meant by the term antibiotic stewardship? Yeah, I think it's uh, really important to be, to be very clear about that. And uh, the Infectious Disease Society of America actually defined it. And I, I love their definition, so I'm actually quoting from them. Um, the primary goal of antibiotic stewardship is to optimize clinical outcomes, while minimizing unintended consequences of antimicrobial use, including toxicity, the selection of pathogenic organisms, such as Clostridium difficile, and the emergence of resistance. 
Therefore, the appropriate use of antimicrobials is an essential part of patient safety and deserves careful oversight and guidance. Now, now, now um, Nam, this, this one's for you. What are the regulating bodies, I guess the governing bodies, doing to address the issue of antibiotic resistance? Sure. No, that's a wonderful question. And really, this is the fuel that kind of pushes many institutions to move in this route. Unfortunately, in the real world, it requires us to have these regulatory agencies to give institutions a little bit of a supportive push. And, you know, it started in some ways uh, with the United Nations. Uh, that's the global level. There's effectively a global war on antibiotic resistance, but at the local level, and when I say local, the more so national level, we have, you know, the White House pretty much implemented a a um, executive order that focuses us on preventing the spread of resistance, tracking these organisms that may show up, improving antibiotic um, prescribing stewardship, which we already heard about, and of course, developing new technologies. And so ultimately, this leads to entities such as the Joint Commission and the Centers for uh, Medicare and Medicaid Services, which really regulate how we pay in healthcare. So the CMS, in this case, pretty much implemented measures uh, as part of checklists that we have to meet. And part of that is to implement such antibiotic stewardship programs. Uh, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, depending on how you look at it, the CMS guidelines are a little bit um, uh, vague, but they're flexible. So right. effectively it tells us we need to have an antibiotic stewardship program. But most hospitals out there uh, that are, in this case, accredited by the Joint Commission uh, in, um, in the place of CMS, we actually have much more granularity there, which effectively allows us to focus more on specific topics for antibiotic stewardship, such as having an antibiotic stewardship program for, uh, for children, et cetera, targeting specific diseases, such as community-acquired pneumonia. So those are the main ones that really drive antibiotic stewardship uh, in the U.S., at least, if we talk about that. If we're talking on the granular level and the guidelines, uh, how are they in implemented in the hospital setting and who is generally responsible for doing so? And again, I'd like to ask Nam if you can continue with that. Sure. Uh, it, it's a team effort. You know, it takes a whole village to push um, any of these complicated, multidisciplinary things within an institution. So typically, I would say that, you know, the laboratory is involved because, uh, you know, my perspective, we have the diagnostics and the technological knowledge on on how these tests work and their limitations. We obviously uh, have emphasis in the laboratory side for microbiologists, but clinical chemists like myself are involved because there are now emerging biomarkers that we use in clinical chemistry that help us differentiate between a viral versus bacterial infection, something called procalcitonin being a good example. Uh, the other perspective, we want the infectious disease folks. Those are critical people that play a, a role in every day of, of, in some cases, approving or not approving certain classes of antibiotics to enhance stewardship already. Obviously, with medications involved, the pharmacy needs to be involved in this process. And then we need clinical champions uh, across various high antibiotic use services, ranging from the emergency department, inpatient services in the ICU, as well as clinics. So bringing all these people together is critical. And I would throw a pitch in there. Typically, these groups uh, comprise of hopefully people that have worked together for many years and perhaps decades before because one of the key aspects of these things is uh, being able to work together, uh, work together successfully and efficiently. Now, Chris, can you describe the role of diagnostics in supporting antibiotic stewardship goals to our audience, please? Yeah, sure. I have to think of it as kind of falling into five main categories. Um, one is the actual diagnosis. So is a bacterial infection present? And if so, do I need to prescribe an antibiotic for this patient? 
and also can help with understanding the severity of that infection. That's the diagnosis piece. Uh, second is the antibiotic initiation. So what antibiotic dose and duration should I choose? You can often um, take a good uh, guess at that based on the type of bacteria that, that's present and also the type of bacteria and resistance that's present in the population of, of uh, patients that you're serving in your institution. Mm-hmm. So next would be assessing the antibiotic response. So is this patient responding to the antibiotic? And if not, why? So what, what else might be going on there? Uh, do I need a stronger antibiotic or is the bacteria resistant to the antibiotic that I've chosen? Fourth category would be related to antibiotic de-escalation. So are we at a point now that I can safely reduce the dosing and duration of the antibiotic? So do I clearly see that the patient is responding and that the antibiotic is effectively treating the, the bacteria they've been infected with? Or can I even stop the antibiotic altogether? And then the last is used for screening. So is this person who's coming into my healthcare institution a carrier of bacteria so that that person may need to actually be, be isolated and, um, to, to ensure that they don't spread drug-resistant organisms that they may be carrying to other patients in the, in the hospital? Do we have to use contact precautions, things like gloves and gowns, um, and be extra careful with uh, that that patient to be sure that we're not going to spread that infection to other patients in the hospital. And, and the last question I have for you right now, Dr. Newhouse, is uh, what specific products does Roche offer that are relevant to this topic? So we have quite a few, and I think I'd, I'd zero in on, on three main uh, products. Our Cobos Liat PCR system, which is really meant for doing testing right at the point of care or right in, within a clinician office. Okay. Our Cobos MRSA and C. diff tests, which are HAI uh, tests or hospital acquired infection tests, and also the Alexis Brahms PCT assay. It's a procalcitonin test that really helps with understanding whether or not somebody has a bacterial infection. So if you look at the Cobos Liat, just as an example, um, we have a, a test on that for uh, strep A, so group A strep. Um, typically, you go into a doctor with sore throat, maybe even you can see the white patchiness on the back of your throat, and the doctor needs to do a swab. And prior to having access to the Cobos Liat system, um, they would have some kind of a quick colorimetric test that they could do in the office, but they were pretty inaccurate. So they really had to send that sample to a lab and wait 24 to 48 hours before you would actually get the results and know how to treat that patient. So that would be a whole day or two that the patient is continuing to suffer and not really knowing what they have. With the Cobas-Liat PCR system, that test is finished within 15 minutes. So the patient's sitting right there in the office, and you know whether or not they're infected and whether or not you need to prescribe antibiotics. So it really gives you that power. Um, where you're not, you know, falling victim to this um, desire to maybe prescribe antibiotics just in case for that patient, um, because you will have a result and know right away. Uh, another would be the uh, HAI test, like the Cobacidif test, for example. Since we're we're on C diff spores and more, it seems appropriate to to talk about that. Um, C diff acetyl is a, a tricky one to. Uh, differentiate, you know, and tell if uh, a person has an, an infection. There's many different causes of, of diarrhea, which is really the, the main symptom that people have with C. diff. And so it's really important to then differentiate 
what is the actual root cause. And so with the Cobot CDF test, for example, you can be confident and sure you, because it has such a high sensitivity, you can be sure that you know that this patient's infected with C. diff and that that can be a, a true cause of their, their symptoms. I think then the last one, uh, the procalcitonin test, is a really great novel innovation in that it really complements and, and adds to uh, additional biomarkers. But the really nice thing about uh, procalcitonin is that it's a very quick uh, rise this is within three to six hours of bacterial infection. Um, we all have some normal level of procalcitonin in our, our bloodstream, but when a person's infected with a bacterial infection specifically, their procalcitonin levels will, will rise. So you can tell by this, this elevated level of, of PCT whether or not a person has a bacterial infection. And if they do, then you know you should start treating them with some form of antibiotics. The other nice thing about the procalcitonin marker is that it has a, a half-life of about 24 hours, and you can use it to track the effectiveness of the antibiotic therapy. So if you start treating a patient with antibiotics and their procalcitonin numbers start to drop again, then you know that the antibiotic is, is being effective, that it's actually treating the bacteria. But on the flip side, if you see that the procalcitonin level stays uh, flat or even increases, you recognize then that the antibiotic you've chosen is not effective against this patient's particular infection and that you need to, to modify your your regimen and the, the drug of choice. So really powerful tool. Absolutely fascinating. And, and I just want to let you know that um, we did with, with just a, under a couple of minutes until we want to break for commercial, um, we're also streaming on a, a Facebook Live page, and the remarks that are coming back are fascinating. That's really what they're basically saying is fascinating, and you guys are answering a lot of questions to our audience, if that's any judge out there. Is, is there anything, Nam, that you would like to say to our C. diff audience um, from what Chris just added in there? Sure, and I think that the main topic is really, I'll probably discuss, elaborate more detail later, but the, um, connecting all these diagnostic tests together is very key. You can't do uh, adequate antibiotic stewardship with just one technology, right? So with Procalcitone, we were one of the early adopters of Procalcitone back uh, several years ago. We were waiting for an automated solution, and one uh, finally came up. And we were able to really um, offer this test, and doctors were able to jump right on it. For example, our pediatricians previously used an older biomarker for sepsis and infection, C-reactive protein. And in our case, they converted almost all over, all back to procalcitonin once they realized the, the, the power of this test. It's not perfect, just like any other biomarker, but it's, a, it's light years ahead of what we currently have uh, previous, uh, what we had previous, not currently. So procalcitonin is kind of the gold standard now, but the key is linking these tests together, right? Molecular diagnostics, uh, chemistry biomarkers, and so forth to have a full picture of what is uh, happening to the patient. Thank you. Thank you, Nam and Chris. We're going to, for those incredible key points, we're going to pause for a commercial break and we were going to turn. We're going to continue discussing the role of diagnostics and supporting antibiotic stewardship goals with Dr. Nam Tran of UC Davis and Dr. Chris Newhouse of Roche. Stay tuned and we'll be back after our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. To help support the C. diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. I would like to welcome all of our global listeners back to our program today to continue our discussion on the role of diagnostics in supporting antibiotic stewardship goals. And it's a pleasure to reintroduce our guests, Dr. Nam Tran of UC Davis and Dr. Chris Newhouse of Roche. Now, we've talked about the introduction of antibiotic resistance, and we've talked about the antibiotic stewardship and the role of diagnostics. So, with your permission, I would love to learn about antibiotic stewardship in action. Now, Dr. Tran, what does antibiotic stewardship look like at UC Davis? So uh, we're very proud to say that you know, at UC Davis, uh, we, we try to be progressive. I think every institution out there does their best with the resources that they have, and there will be different degrees of that, obviously. So at our institution, we take a lot of pride in that. A lot of the folks that direct this process, we all work well together. That's one really key part. You want to make sure that people are on the same page. They work well together because you can have the best technologies out there, but if they're not implemented correctly and consistently, that uh, you'll have a failed program. That's pretty much what the take-home is, or you at least won't glean all the benefits that you should get. Uh, So we work, like I mentioned, with infection prevention, infectious diseases, the emergency department, our outpatient clinics, the ICUs, all working together to try to stay on the same message. And from a laboratory perspective, we not only try to get technologies that these clinicians need to support their antibiotic stewardship efforts, but we also try to predict where technologies are going. So I would say that we're, we're still planning out uh, for some things that we've implemented already, but we're planning out the five years ahead where technologies are going so that we can make the best decisions to set ourselves up for success. I've been there before in other places where, where 
they just react to get their test today and kind of shoehorn themselves into a place they don't want to be five years from now. Because as uh, bacteria are smart, they change all the time. We need to be faster than they are. Uh, so that's always a game, an interesting game with this um, antibiotic stewardship stuff. And last but certainly not least, everyone should also have that passion. And we all have to share that passion amongst these groups at UC Davis to really fight this um, war, as it were, for um, ensuring antibiotic stewardship and preventing resistance. Your passion certainly does come through in your voice, and I thank you for that. And and the next question I have for you is, is there a need for both inpatient and outpatient stewardship programs? Uh, hugely. Uh, outpatients, we sometimes ignore a little bit, but that's actually, in some cases, uh, where most of the challenges are. Uh, there was a study that came out uh, maybe this past year that showed a lot of the inappropriate antibiotic administrations are from urgent care clinics. Um, so that's where a lot of the problems are. A patient comes in, doc, I have the sniffles, uh, it's flu season, I want my antibiotic. And um, they, they're not going to leave without antibiotics. And they may, in some cases, maybe not in the United States, but in Australia, there's a, a paper that kind of came out that says, in some cases, patients have bullied their physicians to get antibiotics. And that's, that's in some cases, causing this challenge that we are dealing with today. Uh, with that said, on the inpatient side, there are other challenges too. About 50% of the antibiotics prescribed in hospitals are classified as inappropriate, believe it or not. If you think about it, a person comes in with suspected sepsis, a severe infection, a doctor doesn't want to miss it. They don't want to miss the boat because if you miss it, the patient dies. So they give multiple antibiotics to hopefully cover for a suspected infection. They may find out that the patient doesn't have an infection. They may find out that the antibiotic that they prescribed were inappropriate. So that's kind of where all those diagnostics come in. So there is a lot of concern both on the inpatient and outpatient side. And last but certainly not least, the side effects of antibiotics. We forget that there are side effects. It's a medication. There could be adverse side effects in some cases. Uh, we have a burn center at UC Davis, and we found that some of these antibiotics that we give for these burn patients that have a high chance of infection, actually contributing in some part to kidney dysfunction. It, some of the drugs are toxic to the kidney. You know, you'll probably elaborate a little bit more with my next question, and it talks about um, the, why, why is all of this, the stewardship, important to the health system and to the patients? So first and foremost, it's, it's the patient, right? It's patient-centered care. So we want to get the right drug at the right time to these patients who are sick. We want them to go home. We want them to go see their family, enjoy life, and go home quickly. Uh, from a financial perspective, uh, this adds up. So if you acquire in that scenario of getting an antibiotic that you may not need and acquire kidney dysfunction, so what's called acute kidney injury, well, your kidneys aren't working, so you're going to stay in the hospital a lot longer. And the dollar signs associated with staying in a hospital, it gets pretty pricey. So it could be thousands of dollars a day, even more, depending on the uh, type of patient that you are. So the, the fi financial impact of this is the profound. And don't forget, for every day that you didn't need to stay in the hospital, that's another day that someone else who is sick that may not be able to go to that hospital or be in that bed that where they do need that care. So there's a lot of downstream impact on this, not to mention promoting long-term resistance for these resistance for these organisms that will run into and perhaps eventually will run out of antibiotics or at least effective antibiotics to treat them. So there's a lot of immediate, medium-term, and long-term uh, effects that are quite detrimental to us if we don't have a good handle on this. You know, you from a patient's perspective, that that sheds a lot of light and explains a lot to to me personally. When when you talk about 
uh, an extended stay in a hospital or potential stay. And now a bed is being used by somebody else uh, that, that, that another person could be used. That's, that's really enlightening. So thank you for that. And, and now I'd like you to speak specifically on the role of diagnostics in your approach. Sure. So um, I, I, I was, I'm a molecular person. So my, I did my PhD in actually molecular diagnostics in sepsis. So I've always been a proponent of this. Uh, and I'm also a point of care director. So uh, anything that can accelerate while maintaining quality um, diagnostics, I'm all for it. So uh, from a diagnostic perspective, without the evidence, we are pretty much at best uh, having educated guesses in terms of how we treat. So providing clinicians with objective means to target therapy at the right time for the right patient, that's our goal. And so with that said, uh, we're... You know, at our institution, we focused on bringing in faster molecular diagnostics, uh, point of care devices for flu, RSV, uh, even strep A, and of course, a lot of patient come, patients come in with pharyngitis. That's another area where molecular diagnostics uh, for these patients with uh, strep uh, infections could be employed to mitigate inappropriate antibiotic use. So we've deployed that. Uh, we've also found that. Appropriate use of diagnostic tests. Diagnostic stewardships is also key. We have PCR tests, molecular tests that can detect very quickly multiple organisms, uh, 10, 20 bugs at the same time, but they're expensive. So we actually employ cheaper immunoassays such as use of procalcitonin to kind of help us guide, do we need that molecular test or not? Do they have a viral infection and don't need antibiotics and vice versa? So we actually also not just improve antibiotic stewardship, but also helped with diagnostic stewardship with these things. So it goes hand in hand. That's kind of the key point there. So we've used technology to speed up our ability to objectively know what's going on, but we also use technology to help optimize uh, the use of antibiotics and diagnostics for patients. Now, how is success measured at UC Davis with respect to antibiotic stewardship? So that's a, that's a great question. So we have obviously the low-hanging fruit, which is how many antibiotics we give how many antibiotics that we gave that was actually appropriate versus not appropriate. This is all brute force, looking at the patient's charts and our team of quality researchers go in and dive into the medical records to look into this. Uh, but we also look at length of stay, how long a patient stays. Uh, we also look at recurring infections or other types of infections that are typically due to antibiotics. Obviously, because of the talk show, we also look at C. diff rates. So all these are easy metrics for us to look at. Uh, financially, we also look at how many tests we perform for these things because, as I noted, the diagnostic stewardship is a key aspect. Are we seeing too many doctors ordering these expensive tests just so that they can uh, feel safe and so forth? Uh, so I think those are the things that we look at heavily. Flu season, of course, we look at Tamiflu rates, so those antimicrobials that are prescribed during flu season for you know influenza. So all those are really easy ones. The big picture, the more in-depth one where we look at uh, other rates, uh, more uh, actual direct cost to patients. Those are the ones that take us a little bit longer to look at. And most non-academic hospitals may not have this ability, but uh, that's something we also look at in terms of just the actual cost to the patient for their overall stay, drug cost, treatment costs, and so forth. Well, with just uh, just about two and a half or so minutes before we break for commercial, uh, how do you see your antibiotic stewardship efforts evolving going forward? And what emerging technologies might influence your approach? Sure, the, uh, pretty much more technologies, more diagnostic tests, uh, but the, the big one that we're eagerly waiting for as a community is a rapid genetic resistance testing and perhaps even phenotypic. I mean, when I say resistance, it's the genes that cause resistance. 
phenotypic. I'm talking about what the organism actually does physically. Is it actually resistant or not? We can detect bugs pretty fast. But to determine if they're resistant or not, that's the big one that can kill people and make a big difference if we can detect it. So that's kind of where we're going. And then, of course, always enforcing the, the culture of antibiotic stewardship and diagnostic stewardship. It's, it's, a moving, it's a moving target. We have to enforce this knowledge all the time, daily, weekly, and so forth. It's a, that's just incredible. And you know what? And, and again, I keep talking from a patient's perspective. You you are you both are opening up the light here. All right. And we're seeing a lot more. Is there anything else you want to add to our CDF audience? We have about a minute and a half left. Sure. Well, I think mainly just keep the passion going because if people get bored or complacent about it, you're going to lose all that what you've gained because people stop being stewardship, stewards, right? So it provides stewardship. So I think that's one of the main things. Keep the passion, keep the energy going. And so it, it's a moving target. It's a lot of work, but you have to like it to do well with it. Right, exactly. Chris, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I think it's, it's great uh, how Dr. Tran mentioned already that we continue to look for ways to, to partner and move technology forward to uh, continue to help support their efforts. And as he said, all in the end, it really comes down to providing the best possible patient care in the most cost-effective way possible with as quick information as you can possibly provide back to the, the clinician with our diagnostic tests so that they can be more confident in how they are going about treating those patients. Fantastic. And I want to look, I want to thank you both, um, Dr. Newhouse and Dr. Tran, and at this, very informative and I'm sure our listeners are just glomming on to every word y'all are saying. So at this time, um, we're going to pause for a commercial break. And I'd like to thank you for providing all of this in-depth information to our global listeners. So stay tuned, everyone. We will be reviewing key points discussed with our guests after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. <music> Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing. 
number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand-washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank our listeners for joining us today. And it is my pleasure to once again introduce our guests, Dr. Nam Tran of UC Davis and Dr. Chris Newhouse of Roche. They've been our guests today discussing the role of diagnostics in supporting antibiotic stewardship goals. Well, welcome back to the program, Nam and Chris. Thank you. Great to be here. Now, before we close the program today, I feel a call to action to our listeners would be most welcome. And uh, Dr. Tran, this one's for you. Um, What can we do as patients to help address the problem of antibiotic resistance? Sure, that's a great question. Obviously, the one that I think people have heard about is, you know, if you prescribe antibiotics, take the full regimen. Don't stop halfway through because you think you feel better. You know, you're, you might kill off some good bacteria or uh, the, the sensitive bacteria. The resistance ones may still be around. Uh, but also trust your doctors. So I think doctors now have technology that are beyond imagination uh, from what we've seen maybe 10, 15 years ago. And they actually can see the types of organisms that may be there. So what they prescribe you or not prescribe you, there is good reason behind that. And so I think those are the main things to be aware. So trust your doctors, but also complete your therapy and so forth. Don't, don't discontinue your antibiotics and microbials just because you feel better. And Dr. Newhouse, what, do you, what are you doing as a diagnostics vendor to help address antibiotic resistance? That's really, really important. So I think... Primarily, first and foremost, uh, I think it's worth mentioning that our president and CEO here, uh, Jack Phillips, wrote a letter to the CDC um, talking about Roche Diagnostics' commitment to antibiotic stewardship. Um, across our diagnostic portfolio, we've made substantial investments into numerous different assays to really help clinicians make more effective treatment decisions using antibiotics or antivirals. And we continue to provide educational support and drive awareness with healthcare providers so they can successfully comply with the new regulatory mandates and also to understand what role uh, diagnostics can play in helping them to be better antibiotic stewardships. Because our long-term strategy is really to help improve patient lives, and that includes this deep-seated commitment that we have uh, to promote and implement the principles of good antibiotic stewardship. And then the other thing I would say is when it comes to how we are investing in in the future, I think just as Dr. Tran mentioned, there's two main areas that there are real needs uh, in this space. And one is providing additional genetic tests. And that that is the crux of our technology of PCR that we use uh, to, to do a lot of the testing that we do. And that provides those additional genetic information. And we continue to invest in new tests to expand the portfolio of options options there. And then the other is uh, for phenotypic results, we've actually invested in a brand new technology that we're really excited about. We're going to be bringing to the the market uh, early next year called Smarticles that is a phenotypic technology 
that works much quicker than traditional culture. And so we're really excited to see how um, we might be able to leverage that new technology to, to help clinicians uh, get the information they need about these drug-resistant organisms. Now, the last question I have is for Dr. Tran. Now, what, would, what call to action would you provide to your fellow healthcare colleagues to help combat this issue? Sure. I think the, a, couple, a couple ones is, number one, you know, not all tests are created the same. I think uh, in the laboratory world, we're faced every day with, I just want this test because I know about it. And there's a lot of data published in literature that that test may not be ideal. So uh, trust your laboratorian, trust your pathologist that they know which tests are, are best for the hospital, best for the patient. Uh, but also try to break away from, from, from actual dogma. Try to break away from uh, your old practices of, well, it's just faster for me to give some antibiotics. It's cheaper for me to give a $4 antibiotic than perform a X number dollar test. Uh, I've heard some anecdotal stories of a doctor wanting to, um, would rather give a $4 antibiotic to treat someone with a suspected sexually transmitted disease than to perform a, say, $20, $30 um, PCR test. Well, guess what? Chlamydia and gonorrhea are highly resistant now uh, based on what you've seen in the news and so forth. So that practice needs to go away. And I think um, where we have to um, ask our fellow healthcare colleagues to jump on board is it has serious downstream effects. And I do want to emphasize towards the audience that as patients, and all of us are patients at one point, uh, we really had to advocate to our doctors, too, that, you know, they need to be stewards. Everyone's part of the stewardship process from patients all the way to the healthcare provider and the manufacturers that make our devices and medications. And you know you're right. We're all stewards, and that's what that's what I was talking about when we were on a break. I was talking about when I was traveling, how uh, prevalent the use of antibiotics is. It seems to be Plan A. Would you Would you agree with that, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. And that that definitely is part of the the problem, right? It's a, an easy knee jerk reaction to just prescribe an antibiotic and hope that the problem goes away, but um, it doesn't really take into account this longer term, at large scale impact that that short-term decision can have. It's a much longer-term impact that uh, it can have. And I think it's really important to kind of just reinforce what Dr. Tran said there and that there are many people that can help this, but it really it takes a village in a sense. It really takes many different stakeholders, both within the healthcare setting and patients themselves, all to be thinking about this and really putting in the effort and their there are all relative expertises together to try and tackle uh, antibiotic stewardship and do it the most effectively. And, and um, the point came up before, and I'm just adding a couple of personal questions, if you don't mind. The point came up about the, uh, in, in the uh, healthcare centers, in the, in the quick care facilities, that some patients are actually bullying uh, physicians for antibiotics. I always look at that as a mindset that this is the answer, this will get it done for me. Um, Nam, would you agree with that, that that's the mindset? I think so. And I think with with the metric in healthcare in the United States being uh, patient satisfaction, which is a appropriate um, a metric, but, you know, with many good good deeds also sometimes come um, uh, with bad intentions from some people. So I think that, that that's where it becomes a, a big challenge for all of us. Exactly. And look, you know what? I, I can't tell you how, how interactive this conversation was. We're going to 
close the show. So, Nam and Chris, we thank you for joining us today on C. diff spores and more global broadcasting, and we are grateful for your dedication to healthcare and putting patients first. At this time, the members of C. diff Foundation wish to acknowledge all the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health. The organizations and professionals researching and developing new products addressing C. difficile infection prevention and treatments, protecting the gut micro- microbiome, and addressing environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about C. difficile infection and recurrent C. difficile infective clinical trials in progress and how you may be able to take part in a clinical study, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website, www.cdifffoundation.org, and click on the tab, Clinical Trials in Progress. Help them help you to help others. and Save the date. The third annual Global C. difficile Awareness Walks are taking place on May 18th in Teaneck, New Jersey, Newport Ritchie, Florida, and the Leicester England Walk will be led by Dr. Martha Clokey and her lab. Take a walk in the park to promote C. diff infection awareness and help us save lives worldwide. For more information, please visit the website www.cdifffoundation.org. That's cdifffoundation.org. We look forward to meeting you on May 18th. We send out our get well wishes to all our patients who are being treated and recovering from a C. difficile infection and the many wellness-draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Kevin Hirsch, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We'll be right back. 